Hear that? It's the sound of you catching up on all the latest and greatest fintech news, trends, and updates thanks to Streetworthy, Yield Street's bi-weekly newsletter. Stay in the know with CEO Melinda Mahiri as he takes a closer look at what's happening in the fintech space, then breaks down what each story could mean for investors like you. Give your portfolio the edge it deserves and subscribe to Streetworthy on LinkedIn today. Welcome to The Yield, the official podcast of Yield Street. Every week, we bring you the latest market insights across our asset classes and products from subject matter experts. Our aim is to break the outdated mold of investing and help you add financial fuel to your ambitions through innovative investing products and strategies, typically unavailable to most investors. Realize your next level with The Yield. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. The views you are about to hear do not necessarily reflect the views of Yield Street. This podcast is intended to be strictly informational and is not intended to be and should not be construed as a research report, investment advice, or the offer or sale of securities or any investment product. Now, let's get into the show. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to another Yield Street webinar. Today's topic is opportunity and innovation amid a COVID chaotic environment. Before we hop into our discussion, let me give you couple of housekeeping tips. One is go to yieldstreet.com and sign up on our website. You will get notification of future webinars as well as market commentary and also check out the open offerings that are available on our webinar. We are also available on the Apple iStore or to the Google Play Store to download our mobile app. Also, we'll be taking questions towards the end of the webinar. So please submit them to us. So let's begin. My name is uh, Milind Mehre, for those of you who don't know me. I'm the founder and CEO of Yield Street, an income generation platform providing you access to alternative investments that you didn't have before. And uh, we are a digital wealth platform focused uh, purely on that. Yield Street just last week was ranked number 46 on the Inc. 5000 list for second year in the row. And we were also ranked number 12 on Financial Times uh, FinTech Companies to Watch in 2020. Prior to Yield Street, I co-founded a company called Yodal, an ad tech platform for small businesses that we scaled to 1,400 people and about $200 million in revenue. We were acquired by Web.com for $340 million a few years ago. I am really excited here to be with my friend and advisor, Alexa Van Tobo. Alexa was the founder of LearnVest that was acquired by Northwest Mutual three or four years ago, and she's now on her second innings as a venture capital, as a, a venture capitalist, as a founder of Inspired Capital, Alexa, welcome to the Yield Street webinar, and I would love uh, for you to start by giving your background and introduction for our audience. Sure, Melin, thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here, and thank you guys for all joining. My quick background, and I'll do the the fast version, is I grew up in Florida. I was Harvard undergrad. I think I've always been an entrepreneur, which is the thing that finally kind of clicked in my head because I had this restless energy to always want to build and create businesses. And I realized it's, it's also like my biggest hobby. I love doing it. Anyways, I ended up starting uh, the beginning of my career at Insight Venture Partners on the venture side. And then at Morgan Stanley as a trader, went to then help a friend build a company that got acquired by Facebook. So early tech days in, in New York City ecosystem. And all the while I'd been writing a 75 page business plan for LearnVest. I then had to go, I, I got into Harvard Business School when I was an undergrad, 
Um, I had to go back because they kept deferring and they said, you can no longer defer, it's time to go. And I enrolled in the fall of 2008, right as Lehman Brothers went under. And the business plan that I'd been writing for LearnBass, I kind of realized to myself, this is actually the best time to go build it. So I mustered up the courage to take a formal five-year leave of absence and drop out of HBS, moved to New York in December 18th of 2008. So for everybody out there listening, I know exactly what it feels like to build a company at very uncertain times. And then ended up over the next five years building LearnVest into a financial planning software. So think TurboTax meets financial planning. And we raised about $75 million and sold to Northwestern Mutual for $375 million. And since I was the sole founder, I committed to staying on for about three years and had a wonderful experience, joined the management team of Northwestern Mutual. And then after all of that, kind of said, I want to get back to my roots of, I love building businesses and I love helping entrepreneurs. And I'm fortunate to be an advisor to Melind and just really proud of everything that you've been building over at Yield Street. And then Inspired Capital is a $200 million fund focused on early stage tech investments. So we do seed series A and we invest around the country. And so please feel free to uh, send us an email at any time you want to hear from you. And and the last thing, because I'd be remiss not to say it, I'm, I'm also a mother of three little kids. So I have a five-year-old, a two-year-old, and a one-year-old. And I've written two books on the future of wallet and you know uh, financial planning that have done quite well in our bestsellers. So um, that's me in a nutshell. And then I'm a New York City native, native resident minus during COVID, where we've been in different locations, but really happy to be here today. Awesome. So Alexa, thank, thank you for that. Uh, so, you know, speaking about recession, this is now your second uh, gig. So 2008 was the financial crisis. You started LearnVest and now Inspired Capital is again, you're starting, a, you know, in between this COVID environment. So tell us a little bit about that experience at LearnVest and also what are you seeing uh, right now when, when there is this dislocation in the market and how you think about that? So first, I'll just say, you know, I have, I think, unique love for operating businesses and investing in businesses. And so my experience at LearnVest, I think, has made me a far better investor. And again, I started on the investing side, was an operator at a company that got acquired by Facebook, and then was the sole founder of a company that we sold to Northwestern Mutual. And in both of those operating experiences, I'll just say I have so much deep empathy for founders. Before we even started this call, I said to Melinda, I'm, I'm really proud of you. And like, it just being a founder is so hard and like the challenges you deal with some days you can't even make up right and i think it's made me a better investor for a bunch of reasons not only do i really deeply feel for the founder when things aren't going well like i know what that means it means you're not sleeping at night probably means your spouse isn't sleeping at night you know your stress levels are next level in some cases and i just i really do think it's sharpened my pencils of not only from you know understanding business plans product and tech roadmaps the challenges it really takes to get something off the ground and kind of the naivete that you go into it as a first-time founder where you're like, oh, we're going to get to 10 million of revenue in a month. Like you just, again, I just know how hard it is to build things. So first I'll just say it's made me a better investor and I genuinely love and enjoy helping founders have less pain where we can help them. And then during COVID, you know, I think COVID is just a really unique unprecedented moment in life. And we almost view the world as there's pre-COVID and post-COVID and the world will never be the same. And I say that almost hyperbolically, but I do believe that the world has fundamentally shifted and how we think about communication, video chat, FaceTime, where you need to physically sit in order to do your best work, how we're going to think about schools and education, global healthcare, the future of the passion economy and gig workers and you know, when you have so many people unemployed like we do right now, 
you know, I think we'll think about the, the health network as your health, Malin, does impact my health now when you can think about global pandemics. So I, I do believe that the world has permanently changed. And in some ways, you know, there will be challenges we have to get through as a society, but in many, many ways for the better. I think that we're going to find that this moment of reset is going to be a very valuable one because I think we're going to be able to build a better society coming out of this. At least that's my very optimistic view. Yeah, makes sense. I remember we started Yodel, you know, just a couple of years before the last recession. And for, you know, it really makes you very, very resilient as a founder. And I think for me, the personal joy was Yodel was helping small businesses get online and get new customers during the, the last financial crisis where SMBs were impacted, uh, you know, dramatically. And given that SMBs are, you know, kind of the, 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 the bread and butter of our economy, it was really, um, you know, amazing to see that we could have impact on them. But the other thing is that me being an immigrant coming here and be able to, you know, create so many jobs during the last recession when there was so much of unemployment was really also very inspiring for me personally. And so this time around, like I totally agree with you, while it's a completely different environment, that resiliency really helps you kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel and know that there is always going to be the other side and like how can you kind of get to the other side by, by you know, still focusing on things that you are really passionate about. So you mentioned COVID, like pre-COVID and post-COVID. Let's talk a little bit about the world is completely dislocated. And, but we also know from history that some of the most innovative ideas come during these type of life-changing events. And we've seen that during the last recession, right? So Airbnb, Uber, companies like that were born out of that. And if you look at the last decade, top seven of the top 10 companies in the world today are, uh, are, are tech companies. So given your role at Inspired Capital, what type of uh, ideas are you seeing out there? And what type of entrepreneurs are approaching you? So I, I want to add one fact point. If you actually look at the S&P 500, more than 50% of the companies in the S&P 500 were born out of what we're going to call category creating moments. So moments of major asymmetric dislocation, whether it was, you know, the 1929 Great Depression or, you know, the myriad of other ones that have taken place over the last 100 years, big ideas are born in moments where the world is fundamentally shifting. So a few things. One, I think it's a great thing that I'm an optimist in my role because your job is to see that 10 years out and to see the amazing things that can be born. And one great thing about innovation, Melinda, is that no one shows up at my door and says, I want to go innovate to make the world worse or to hurt consumers. You know, when you're innovating, you want to help the little guy or you want to improve the quality of life of somebody or you want to fix a problem that exists that shouldn't exist anymore. And so the great thing about innovation is it's always 99.9% .9 of the time it's making the world better. The second thing that's really great is that I get to see the people who are dreaming, you know, in, in this moment of, by the way, and this is a stressful moment for everybody. And so I, I don't want to underpin that, you know, I have little kids and people are trying to work from home. And I think mental fatigue is worn in by a lot for everybody. And it's a very uncertain moment, but I, you know, my job is, to meet 10 founders a day who have a big vision for the future. And what's really fun is to see the things that people are dreaming up. And there's just wonderful ideas being born right now of things that should exist. So we got pitched on a global health network that allows scientists everywhere to tap into a centralized place where they can all share their work. That's a pretty phenomenal idea. And 
I think we would all agree should exist because if somebody's found something, you know, across the globe, we would love to be able to use that as quickly as we can to help people here to bigger ideas of how do we get Gen Z to safer retirement because they're going to live so much longer and inflation is probably going to be a lot worse given that the Fed will continue to, you know, probably print money in a way that inflation is going to really, I think, be challenging over the next decade potentially. So just again, like top to bottom, you know, we're seeing restaurant tech and all of the companies that want to go help people have better contactless ordering in restaurants. Like why do we literally order in restaurants in such an inefficient way? And so just again, all flavors of innovation that are really exciting. And, you know, we look for entrepreneurs who are made of steel, who can survive climates of all types who have a resiliency DNA that they can pull on, uh, you tend to find that, and maybe this is a bias we have, but that your founders have been through some sort of extreme intensity in their life. And that could be a sport intensity, a personal tragedy they draw on. It can be some superhuman thing that they've had to overcome in in their life that gives them the, the emotional benefit of knowing how to do it. But that's what we look for. Awesome. Alexa, can you talk a little bit about the sectors that you guys are focused on at Inspired Capital? What are the typical areas that you're focused on? Maybe uh, give our audience a little flavor of the last couple of uh, companies that you might have financed. Sure. So first of all, we're generalists. So we purposely look at everything. So, you know, if you're building a new bloodless blood or like a pet care company for pet for puppies or, you know, a new light bulb company, we want to look at all of it. And I say that like in jest, but, but not really, like we really look at it all. You know, we have a lot of DNA in FinTech. So, you know, we helped incubate a company called Orum in FinTech, which is with the most amazing founder, somebody I'd worked with for a decade and it's money movement infrastructure. And they just announced a big round and that helps think of a massive Venmo that allows you to move money instantly from anywhere to anywhere. But seamlessly and not like same day wire and maybe it's going to get there by the 4 p.m. Like just the friction around money needs to go away. So that's one bet we made. We invested in a company called Chief, which is helping female executives create a really powerful network. We invested in a company called Geneva Chat, which is, you know, if you have Slack for work and Discord for gaming, like why isn't there a better platform for all of us to communicate because Zoom can't be the platform that we socialize on also potentially, or at least it's not built that way right now. So Geneva Chat's an amazing business we're really proud of. We invest in a small business bank called Row, which is some spectacular founders. And it kind of gives you a flavor of the full gamut. Um, but you can go to our website, inspiredcapital.com, and actually see the full team. You know, we have some amazing partners, ranging from Penny Pritzker, who helped put Obama in the White House and is on the board of Microsoft and Harvard, and her brother's the governor. And I always joke, like, you want Penny with you in a crisis because she's been in the war room, literally, of the White House as Secretary of Commerce. But she also just loves to build businesses and has as much fun building businesses as I do. To Lucy Deland, who is a co-founder of Paperless Post, who's just one of my favorite brains on the planet. And I'm lucky that I get to work with her to Mark Batian, who I've been with for a decade. And he and I were the deal team selling LearnVest. And as we went through all these acquisition offers and we're juggling it, it was a wonderful experience to get to do it with him in the trenches. So we look at everything. We've made bets from social platforms to dentist office uh, software to trucking logistics marketplace. Again, no idea too big or too small. It's really 
We're looking for an exceptional founder who's going to you know, be able to live through really challenging life moments because that, as you know, Lind, very well. Building a business is much harder than people think. Um, and just when you think it's really hard, it gets harder. <laughs> and so you need a superhuman on the other side of it. Of course. And uh, so that's really exciting. And, and it's a very diverse approach that you're taking, which is super exciting. And congrats. It's a, it's a great team that uh, you have put together. Of course, I know Mark uh, really well. So, so congrats on all the you know, initial success. Uh, obviously, going back to uh, C19, I think it's going to be one of the, the probably the biggest events of all of our lives. And COVID is probably going to change just the world in a manner that we have not seen, including finance, economy, culture, tradition, just like world travel, things like that. As we think about, uh, you know, we've already seen some early trends around digitization and things like that. So given your background and passion for fintech, what are your views on how's kind of wealth management and financial planning going to change post, uh, post this COVID environment? I think it's a wonderful question. And um, we did kind of this very cool secret meetup, maybe now it's two months ago, um, where we took some some amazing brains and, and just put us all together and said, what can we see that's obvious? And I'll say a few things, and these are in no particular order, but these are all ideas that I think will happen. So you take a yield street, right? You are democratizing an asset class that you'd like everybody to get access to. So this like macro theme of democratizing money for people, I think will only continue, but it's going to look very differently in a lot of categories. So let's take the small business category. You know, think about that a third of the economy is made by small business owners who run electrician offices, plumbing offices, architecture firms, dentist offices. There's a lot of entrepreneurs out there who are, you know, employing one to five people or more. And when they want to retire, what happens to that asset, right? They built something for 20 years. So reimagining what that's going to look like is something that we we think democratizing business ownership is going to be something that continues. There's an entire category called embedded finance that we like. So you've seen some of it, banking as a service, et cetera, et cetera. But just step back and envision a world where, think about Shopify. Shopify, you know, sitting on top of Shopify is thousands of small shops. Shopify can offer them credit cards and savings accounts and all these other things because they have such good data on those businesses. But we believe that in 20 years, you're going to have hundreds of Shopify-like assets where they can embed finance into them and that they can potentially in some ways overnight become some of the biggest financial institutions on the planet. So we think a lot about that. We think a lot of what I'm going to call the crustiness of the incumbents where they're just very old and outdated and not sitting on new tech. And that's a massive disadvantage for some of the incumbents. And so we literally have been thinking about the future of reinsurance. What does the future of reinsurance look like? And reinsurance is a critical part of our economy because reinsurers help stabilize all the other insurers that protect us from having massive tragedy happen in one location that puts you know millions of people out of business or uh, you know, out of life overnight. So we've reimagined you know, what I'm going to call some outdated categories that need reimagination. I think we're going to see a lot of really interesting things happen. You know, in, that inflation problem is real, right? If you're living till 110 and inflation only gets worse, you have to save so much more money for retirement. So very much so worried about Gen Z and what retirement's going to look like for them. Not only because they're going to live till they're 110, but also 
if you work for yourself and you're a Gen Zer and you're in the passion economy, where's your 401k? Who's matching your 401k? Nobody. And so they can actually start even more disadvantaged than generations prior because my grandfather had a pension and his life expectancy was 78. So just a, a seismic shift in, in thinking through that. Um, so just, again, like I could bore you stupid with the number of ideas and problems and things that we see. You know, we've been thinking about the CFO software for every small business out there. How do we make each small business smarter and how they, they think about their numbers, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So listen, those were some very interesting uh, thoughts, especially for the small businesses. I, I think you're absolutely right. Just think about, you know, not only about retirement, but just uh, their, their insurance, right? It's an old archaic way for them to get insurance and companies like Pi Insurance are, are like, you know, disrupting them. And there's a lot of stuff happening in, in InsurTech. You spoke about Shopify. That's going to be a huge part of our ecosystem on all the different businesses that are built on Shopify and the types of things that we need to run more efficiently Embedded finance, yes, absolutely. There is there is a way for us to access money more easily. And how do you use money in motion, right? And to enhance your life and kind of give them income generating products. Like if you think about our economy, especially the financial economy over the last 40, 50 years, most of the FinTech innovation has happened in giving people debt, right? And whether it's a credit card debt, student loan, auto loan, like, you know, it's all around, hey, how do you optimize that? For the first time, I feel that in the next 10 years, I think it's going to be the golden age of fintech. And what I specifically mean there is wealth management and financial planning and how do you kind of care for people and create opportunities for people that didn't exist before. So I think there is uh, you know, going to be some very interesting and you outlined the stats. We are overseeing close to $50 trillion of wealth transfer over the next two generations. But is Gen Z equipped to kind of handle that wealth transfer and outside of stock market, outside of your traditional financial products, what else can people do to get access to income generating products? The other aspect, uh, Alexa, you, you mentioned passion and gig economy, right? Which I think of seismic shift to the future of work. Our parents worked for the same company for a long time, as you said, had pension and all of that. What happens when today's millennials want to work for three years and take a year off? So you need this financial saving concept on a rolling basis. It's not that, hey, I'm going to work till 65 and then I'm going to retire for the next 20 years. People are now making this semi-small retirements in phases. So I think there's going to be a lot of innovation in that area. And you know, people need this kind of income generation along the way. So kind of shifting gears from board themes to kind of really talking about the, the, the future of money and wallets. And I have this you know, wonderful book from you. I know you are very passionate about kind of fintech and, and kind of financial planning and things like that. What do you think is going to be the future of our wallet? So let me just say, I cannot wait for the day, and I know it will exist, that we have self-driving wallets. And what I mean by that is the same concept of a self-driving car where it will drive you from point A to point B and you can trust it and it's safe. I believe that most Americans, and this was you know, one of the things that I, running LearnBest for top to bottom about a decade, every night when I would go to bed, I was like, I'm, I don't fear a competitor. I fear how overwhelming our wallet is to any individual. And as a result, we stared at Americans who would say, just handle my money for me, just take care of it. And I believe that at some point we will be able to use algorithms to say every hour upon the hour, Melinda, you have an extra $50. Let's put it in the bucket that it should go to right now yeah. because our wallet's compounding interest isn't magic, it's math. And every extra day that it's in the right bucket, you earn more money. 
And so being able to actually set up your preferences, your goals, your strategy, and then actually to have your wallet just in a very methodical fashion, reset every night exactly where the money should be going based on what your goals and priorities are. Right now, there's too much friction. It's like write a check to this, link this bank account and have them talk to each other. Move the money proactively into your savings account. Where does your paycheck hit? I think we need to get rid of all that friction and create a safe way for your wallet to drive itself. And I, I do believe that that will happen. And I hope it happens sooner rather than later. So that's one obvious one that I, I really, really do think about. I also think there's a lot of friction around money in general. Why do we get paid every two weeks? Think about that. That is a two-week advancement that you give to your employer. Why don't we get paid every day, every hour? Most Americans, 78% of the country lives paycheck to paycheck. If they could get paid every day, think about that. That means that they no longer live as close to the edge. That's such a valuable change. But our world financial infrastructure is still set up in these big blocks that make no sense. And so for anybody out there, first of all, email me. I want to hear your ideas and follow me on Instagram. I'm at Alexa Vontobel. You can message me in a minute. I, I would love to hear from you. And I respond to all of my, my inbox there. But I want to hear all the big ideas of people who want to go build self-driving wallets, frictionless money. I want people to get paid every day, if not every hour. You know, Uber started paying its drivers per job, per drive, yeah. as they should. Think about that. You've done good work. You should get paid for it. And you should be in a position where you can put your own savings in your own bank account and let it work for you rather than working for somebody else. So we think a lot about those sort of things. A few other just innovation areas that I'm, I'm very intrigued in is the future of life insurance. So it's no longer this, you know, life insurance is really set up because you had often one parent working on behalf of the household. And if that one parent passed away, that family could be decimated. And so you needed life insurance. But we live in a very different society. You have two working parents. Like the modern family joke was that like, there's no such thing as like a, a stay-at-home parent in a lot of cases, because actually everybody needs the income from both parents. And so how do you think about the future of life assurance as opposed to insurance? And what does that mean when you can have a more thoughtful insurance platform that helps protect you from any type of catastrophe? And keep in mind, we all wear devices like our Whoop and Fitbits and Aura Rings. And we know so much more about like, is Melinda on top of Kilimanjaro or is he sitting at a desk in Manhattan where it's probably a low likelihood that the sky is going to fall down and knock him, you know, and, and, and hurt him? And so I just think we have so many better ways to leverage data that can help us better price the sort of risk that we actually take as humans that can better ensure our worst case scenarios. And so again, any wild big idea I love, I want to hear about it. And you'll, we've been charting out a lot of really interesting areas that we want to actively invest in. Yeah, I agree with you, Alexa. I think what you're saying really is that in finance, we have always kind of had compartmentalized solutions. And how do we kind of have, when you talk about self-driving money or self-driving wallets, much more integrated financial service experience. So we don't have a bank account and an investing account and a 401k account and a checking account and like all of these various things. And I think uh, there is some lot of innovation in Asia that's already happening that's kind of taking care of that. And then the other thing is, you know, I agree with you that how can you take advantage of real-time technology to enhance your financial life. So uh, really interesting, you know, as, as Alexa, you know, we can talk for hours. So let's get to some of the audience questions here because there are some very interesting questions that have come in. So let's start off with the easy question. Alexa, I'm interested in how small uh, accredited investors can get access to VC fund like yours. What are the investment minimums like? Great question. 
I think legally our investment minimum is $250,000. But, you know, we pulled on a, a bunch of great people that we just loved and trusted and wanted them to be part of the brand. In general, I actually think getting the everyday American access to venture is a pretty critical thing that we need to do as a society. Uh, let me give you a stat. So 10 years ago, there were 10,000 publicly traded companies. As of this year, there's about 3,000. What that means is that your public market, where everybody, anybody can go buy shares of something, has shrunk, and the private market has dramatically expanded. And I think what's important about that is that's where a lot of your, your you know, massive growth is happening is in the private category. So a company used to go public at about $100 million in revenue when I started LearnVest. That was kind of the number in my head. I had to get to $100 million in revenue. Companies now go public at north of $250 million of revenue. So again, all of that growth of a company is happening in the private world. And so that's one of the things that keeps me up at night is how do we get more people access to where the growth is happening? And there's a very specific thing that worries me. And I don't have the answer, but if anybody wants to go build a company in this space, please come talk to me. If you go back to like our grandparents, land was like how you would grow a lot of wealth. You buy as much land as you can, right? The Rockefellers, the Carnegie's, like land, equity, private equity is the new land of our time. You know, if we're living in the fastest digitization moment in human history, which COVID just, by the way, fully accelerated, then, you know, think about it. If a company can go from being worth zero to a billion dollars quickly, and more of those are being created, then what that means is that's where you want people to have, you, you need everyday Americans to be able to have access to that. And that's one of the things that worries me is we need to find a way to get more people access to that. And actually, I looked at a company this week who's trying to solve the accredited investor problem, which is every time you have to become an accredited investor, you have to fill out tombs of paperwork. And it's very laborious. And how do we make that one, less frictionful, but two, how do we make it so that everyday people can get access to more and more venture? And by the way, venture is very risky. So do not hear me, mishear me. Do not mishear me. Most venture doesn't work, right? It's worth zero. And so that's why they're, the accredited dynamic exists is you don't want people who can't afford it to take the sort of risk. But we have to figure out a way to otherwise level the playing field or else only people who have wealth get access to this type of wealth. And that, that would worry me. That's, I believe in democratizing our wallets for everybody to be able to have equal footing. Yeah, absolutely. And just to add to that, you know, Alexa, there are websites like AngelList for this question where, you know, there is access that you can get to, uh, you know, different venture investments. A follow-on question to that was also, you know, is Yield Street looking at ways for investors to access funds like Inspired Capital with small check sizes? And Alexa, you touched on this, right? So we do a lot of stuff that traditionally a private equity firm or a credit fund would have done. And so, yes, our intention is to offer interesting investment products. Obviously, as the name suggests, uh, Yield Street, we are like basically going uh, after asset-based income-generating uh, asset classes. And venture, though, has been a lot of, uh, you know, it has been a requested asset class. As Alexa said, the investment horizon is very long and, you know, it does not generate immediate yield. So we have looked into that and we'll continue to look into that. But, you know, yes, I think venture investments should definitely uh, have access. So going forward, Alexa, how involved is Inspired with its portfolio company post-funding? And how do you help founders uh, navigate the journey? Extremely extremely involved. So first of all, we're only as involved as the founder wants us to be. So that's a very important thing. And that's sort of my deep founder DNA, which is 
you don't want your investors bugging you if they're you know if they're in your way you want them to actually work for the company and so we take it very much like we work for the portfolio company and our job is to literally do whatever it takes to make the company successful we're incredibly involved we're involved in every stitch from helping hire vet talent you know between the inspired team we've employed over 1500 people just in manhattan alone from tech and product data marketing etc so very very good we've created these massive backlogs of you know every amazing human who's good at very specific things so if you were like we need an seo marketing manager who also can manage brands like we know who those people are and so so we're very involved in that we help on everything from hiring to fundraising to brand strategy probably my favorite thing is strategy which is like i always ask founders like let's play chess like let's play chess for the next five chapters of the company let's go phase one two three four five what does that look like and let's literally come up with the best chess board of how we think about building the company and then also you know our part of our job is to help sniff out problems which is like once you've been there and done that, and Melinda, I would imagine you'd be phenomenal at this now, having built and scaled two companies, you can just tell before a crack's going to happen now because you've, you've probably lived through the cracks yourself. And so just being able to be there and you know tap the founder on the shoulder and say, hey, I see this you know tsunami coming. Let's maybe step out of the way of it. Like, let's solve it before it completely takes us under. So we're as involved as the founder wants us to be. We create a lot of psychological safety for the founder. And I think that's a really important concept, which is when you're a first-time founder, especially, you kind of want to feel like you're all buttoned up. We don't expect you to be buttoned up. We actually want you to tell us the worst things that are scaring you because the more that we can help you, the more we know, the better, and the more we can actually go fix things. And um, so we also just want to be there in the trenches. But again, as much as the founder wants us to, we end up finding that we're on like a constant text message with founders at all times through anything they need. And we're available pretty much within four hours for any of our founders on anything they need. Awesome. So another question is, uh, and I'm sorry, uh, you know, we are going to kind of straddle because questions are coming real time uh, across topics, right? So in the time of COVID, according to some studies that are uh, being reported, we're likely to see a long lasting fears of human interaction even after the vaccine. Based on your latest book, Alexa, you mentioned the gig economy is the future. How do you see that changing? So I have a view, this is my own view, nobody else's. I have a view that this new remote work is gonna stick. That doesn't mean that you're not gonna go into the office for some period of time. It's gonna be hard to convince everybody that they have to go work in an office five days a week. I, just, I don't think people are gonna go for it because think about the noise you've removed, the commuting, the logistics, the schleppings, the scramblings, and it allows you to be able to, you know, particularly at different moments in life, be closer to your family and your kids. And so, and by the way, we've all spent how much money? Hundreds, if not thousands of dollars making our homes work to be able to be offices, buying desks, upgrading your Wi-Fi, all of the things we had to do, buying monitors, whatever it may be. And so because of that, I think you're going to end up working from home more. I think there's an entire part of the ecosystem. I call it the passion economy or the creator economy, where people are going to also realize from lots of different vantage points, whether you're an artist, you're a musician, you have a talent, you're a specialty, that you're gonna be able to be hired by anybody in these really unique ways. And so we call it the solopreneur, or I think people will find that they can also make extra income doing other things because the world is becoming so flat. 
And so we've looked at a lot of these um, kind of supercharged marketplaces for talent. And there's some really amazing ideas out there. But I do believe that since we will be in our homes, a lot of time has been given back to us. So I think we'll be able to be as good at our jobs, but 10 hours a week, if you're not commuting, schlepping, flying, planing, all the things that you can go and monetize and do something else with. And I think people all have a passion, whether it's cooking or sewing or painting or football lessons or soccer coaching or whatever it may be where you're going to be able to find that the world's very flat and you're going to be able to make extra income. And I think that's going to then become this really interesting slippery slope of you may have two jobs at some point. You may have your full job and then your jobby, which is your hobby job. And I just think we're going to find unique ways to make more money. The other thing is it's going to be born out of extreme necessity. When you have 10 or 15 million unemployed Americans, people have to pay their bills. And so I think we're going to find really creative ways to put people back to work because we need it to happen. And that may be remote work on manufacturing lines, but things that you can do from home from a computer. I think we're going to get very creative uh, ways to employ everybody. Yeah, makes sense. So flipping back to the topic around investing and future of investing and options around, around investing, one question came is that the options you're discussing are for already wealthy people. You say you want to help everyday people, but what are we actually doing for the everyday person? What are the options for everyday person? And I think it, uh, you know, it's probably uh, around investing and things like that. Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing that we need to do is, and this is what Learn Best's entire decade of life work was, which is that financial planning shouldn't be a luxury product. And, you know, I think one of the things I do love about the sites like a Betterment and Elvest and other things out there is for some reason, and back in 2008, I started Learn Best because I was like a young kid with my first ever job and had a little bit of extra savings for the first time in my whole life. And I said, I need a wealth manager. And they were like, but you have no wealth. And I was like, but I need a wealth manager. And I remember thinking to myself, it's so upside down that I can only get access to great advice once I have money, but I need access to an advisor to be able to actually get money. You know, it's sort of chicken and the egg, which is, wait, I only get a great brain once I have assets, but I'm young and I need to make sure I don't make mistakes so that I can have assets. And so in short, um, what LearnBest was doing was financial planning for everybody. So TurboTax meets financial planning. I believe that more of that needs to continue. And I think everyday Americans need access to good advice. I think we need our financial infrastructure to opt people into the things that are what I'm going to call decisions of no regret. You should contribute to your 401k. You should contribute for sure to the, the minimum of your full matching. And you should be opted into that, not you have to opt in. It should proactively do it for you. I think credit card debt, we should find ways. And I, I backed a company called Tally. Personally, I invest in a company called Tally that helps everyday Americans. When you're juggling multiple lines of credit card debt, not everybody's good at understanding this one's 19% and this one's 10%. I should pay the 19% first because it's more expensive. So what Tally does is it just automates it for you and you tell us what you can pay each month and it'll go ahead and pay it proactively in the right order so that you save every dollar because credit card debt compounds nightly. So in short, I've been putting my money where my mouth is. I back Lemonade, which is insurance for the everyday person, $5 for renter's insurance. I was an early investor there. They went public about a month ago. I backed Ladder Life and Ethos, which are two companies. I'd be back Chime, which is... I love companies like Robinhood, which is allowing young people to start thinking about investing because you have to change your mindset. You don't think about investing once you're 40. You want to think about it when you're 20 because 
the longer you invest, the better. So I will just say, I've played at every single part of the spectrum. That said, this is what really does keep me up at night. It's back to the things I mentioned. We've got to get people paid every day. Why do you get paid every two weeks? Minimum wage doesn't work. We need to make it so that taxes are actually more advantaged for people who are at the absolute most impoverished part of our ecosystem. These bigger questions of how do you get people access to things like venture and places where extreme growth can happen, but also extreme risk. So again, I don't know the answer to that. It's something I've been thinking about. So I don't pretend to have all the answers, but 25% of moms in America are single moms. You can't afford childcare easily as a single mom unless you're making top 10% of the country. So how do we fix those infrastructure problems? And I've thought a lot about that during COVID when schools are shut down, if that's where your kid gets their meals, that's terrifying. So there's a lot of structural things that like, you know, maybe one day I want to go into government and figure those out. But I've been focusing more on the innovation spectrum of where can we actually provide really good resources that anybody can access. That's one of the reasons why I was proud to be an advisor to Yield Street, because it's exactly what Yield Street's doing, which is helping everyday people get access to an asset class that frankly is a very good one. It's those sort of things. And that's what I love about technology. Yeah. And Alexa, I think all of those trends are, you know, you know how passionate I am about that is like the financial inclusion, right? I think the main thing is financial inclusion leads to financial security and then that leads to financial independence. And I think it's a two-way street where the consumer has to take responsibility. So the things like what you are saying, opt into the 401k plan, if your company is matching even better. If you're a small business owner, how do you get cheap insurance for your staff? How do you provide 401k plans so people can save more? And you're seeing some positive trends out of COVID where people are saving more because there is less expenses now, right? So how do you kind of, you know, feed into that ecosystem where the consumer is taking advantage is also very important. But I think the more important thing also is that how do you make it easy for people? So just, you know, going back to, you know, appreciate your you know comments on Yield Street, what we have done is just looking at our investor base, we have pulled the curtain back. So the type of investments that we were doing, if you are not, you know, the median age is 68 years old to get access to those. A median age on Yield Street is 42. So we've already pulled the curtain back by 25 years, right? Because without Yield Street, you were, you know, probably towards the end of your, you know, retirement life. And you had to have certain network to be able to invest. Now we're kind of pulling that back. So I think that's really important for us to push the boundaries. You mentioned some very interesting companies like Robinhood that's like, you know, getting, you know, a new set of audience into their ecosystem that traditionally Charles Schwab or, you know, E-Trade did not have. So we have to all do our part to kind of see that, you know, financial products are widely available and they're available, which is simple to use. They're digital first. Think about the role of advice. What's going to happen to that, right? And it's all going to go digital. So how do you kind of get more people familiar and without like the burden of scaring them, right? So transparency is super important. Fees are super important. And how do you break those barriers down? And I think there is, you know, that's why I say that the next 10 years are going to be the golden age for fintech because structurally things are going to change. We don't have time to get into more questions here, but, you know, the role of government and maybe we kind of, you know, stop at that. But I think the question was, what was the role of government in all of these things? And I think government is going to play a very, very important role. The regulators are going to play a very important role because they need to understand how consumer behavior is changing and how do how do you kind of put the right uh, regulation in place so as to take advantage of it? Right. Like, I mean, we are actually the beneficiary of changes to Jobs Act that was passed in 2012, because without that, we you know, could not exist as a company five years ago, right? 
And so, uh, so I think there's a lot of interesting things uh, that are happening. So with that, uh, Alexa, just uh, to summarize, uh, you know, if you want to say a, a few words and then we can wrap it up. First, I just want to say thank you guys so much for listening. I'm honored and I'm very proud to be a good friend of Malin's. He's a wonderful CEO. And hopefully you get a sense from this, just my absolute love for supporting entrepreneurs. Inspired Capital is a new venture fund in New York City. Seed Series A, come to us with your ideas. We want to help you. We're very active. We're in a really lucky spot where we just closed a fund uh, right before COVID. So lots of dry powder and very focused on the future. And then hopefully you get a sense of just like, while we're generalists and we invest on everything, it's also very fun. A real part of my heart is committed to fintech and the future of fintech. And I came from a family of doctors and we believed, you know, value system in our family was focusing on making the world a better place. And it's very much how I, I come to work every day, which is, you know, I believe we all have a right to make the world better for everybody. And so it's how we think about our investing as well. And I'm just honored to be here today. So thanks, Melinda. Alexa, thank you so much. It is always fun and inspirational to have any conversation with you. A big fan, a fan of yours, and I appreciate you taking the time. I know you're super busy. Audience, thank you very much for uh, you know really insightful questions. I'm sorry we could not uh, get to a lot of questions that were asked, but I'm super uh, excited about this discussion, especially about the future of finance. And uh, as you know, Yield Street is kind of leading the way there to provide access to investments that uh, you know didn't exist before. So appreciate you guys uh, logging on. And you know, as I said, please go to yieldstreet.com to sign up so you can get access to future webinars like this with inspiring leaders. Thank you very much and have a great week. Stay safe, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Yield. For the latest updates on the alternative investing space, go to yieldstreet.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you enjoyed the show, feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts as this will help other investors like yourself find our show. If you have any questions, please visit us at yieldstreet.com. Thanks again for listening and see you next week. The Yield Street podcast you just heard only reflects the opinions of the host, who is an associated person of Yield Street and does not necessarily reflect the views of Yield Street or any of its affiliates or other associates. The podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be and should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell any security and is not an offer or sale of any securities or investment products. The podcast is also not a research report and is not intended to be and should not be construed as investment advice. Support for this podcast comes from Yield Street. Trying to time the stock market can lead to regret. At Yield Street, our alternative investments are designed to create predictable secondary income streams, providing you with tools to help put your money to work immediately. These investments in asset classes like art, real estate, and legal finance typically have low correlation with the stock market and target annual yields up to 7 to 10%. Welcome to the next generation of investing. Welcome to Yield Street. Sign up today at yieldstreet.com.